0: That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Keep or Cut, a proud member of the Pitcherless podcast. I'm Pete Ball, joined as always by Chad Young. Please consider following the show at at Keep or Cut on Twitter, especially during the offseason, because that's when so many of you know what our show has to offer will help you with is during your off season decisions. Please follow Chad at at Chad Young, and you can follow me at at Pete B Baseball Chad. We're at episode seventy six. I don't know if there are any athletes that are numbered seventy six in MLB because I'm terrible with numbers. But with all that said, what's going on, Chad?
1: Uh yeah, I'm looking up seventy six right now. There are there are not many the the all time war leader on baseball reference among players. I discovered now, you can look this up. You can go, there's a jersey number lookup thing. MLB players who wore a number at baseball reference that you can sort by years they wore it, as well as career war. And Jose Iglesias with 12 war is the the best player to ever wear number 76, but he only wore it for one year. So I'm not sure that really counts. There is, there is no player in major league history who has worn it for more than three years. And the player who wore it for three years is a a Boston Red Sox, Hector Velasquez. Yeah. All right. Kind of like a, a tweener Sparp there. I think we got to give it a
0: Jesus Sanchez. I see him right below Velasquez on that list. And, He's a current player who let me down in the Keeper Cut Aught New League. So this is the Jesus Sanchez episode. Sure.
1: Why not? (laughs) At least least in a few years, there's a possibility that will look good. (laughs) Probably not. Sure, Yeah, but maybe.
0: Yeah, he's got a lot of pop. So anyway, we were trying to figure out what we're going to talk about this week. And there's just so many players out there right now that look like they're going to be hard to value for next season. Now we we know you're in your championships or your championships just wrapped up, but there's not much more to be said left for the season, especially for keeper leagues and Aught new leagues and dynasty leagues and all that stuff that we like to cover. So we're thinking about players who I have no idea where their ADP is going to end up next year. I have no idea how different sites are going to rank them. I think these are the types of guys who like, you know, ESPN might have 47th overall and then CBS has them 208th overall. They're just going right. to be the place. And Chad, we came up with this list and looking at this list, it's making me a little sad because I rostered a lot of these guys. And for so many of them, yeah, almost all of them. It's like not a good thing that they were rostered, but I like the one that you have us starting off with here, even though, you know, most of the season was missed due to injuries. There's a lot of
1: concern here with Chris Bryant. So what are your thoughts on Bryant going into next season? So the the first thing that jumped out at me, there's a couple of stats on Chris Bryant that stand out. The one is, he had something like a hundred and some odd home plate appearances, and did not hit a single home run at Coors Field, which is like, I don't know. I he had one hundred and eleven home plate appearances with zero home runs, zero. I like I don't even understand how that's possible. And you know, I I picked him up in that Fangraph staff league that you and I play in the Outer New League because we wanted him. Niv was my co-manager in that. Niv and I picked him up as our like as a guy for new Prestige League cuz we were like he plays three positions he's got he's going to have a he's going to hit 40 home runs playing at course this is going to be incredible no none not one at course the other stat that jumped out at me which I was fully unaware of until I looked at his page was he had a 370 woba now for those of you who aren't familiar with woba a 370 woba like that's really good that's that's one of the better I mean, he didn't have very many plate appearances. He only had like 180 plate appearances or something like that. But if you go look at the major league leaders in WOBA, there are, if, there are a total of 14 players qualified for the batting title with a 370 or better WOBA. So Brian had that slow start. He had no home runs at cores, but his overall line is really good. And then he's been injured a ton because he's only, like I said, only had 181 plate appearances. So I, he, he's really tough to evaluate because the overall performance was actually quite good. It was not shaped anything like what we expected, right? I mean, a 306 batting average <laughs> with, with no home runs at course. like, I, I don't know. I, I'm having a really tough time trying to figure out, like, do I just throw this season out? And I've done that to him before, right? In 2020, in the shortened season, he was terrible. And I, I was sort of like, eh, probably he'll bounce back. And he did. And then this year, he's been even better than what he was last year. But I, I don't know if I should just ignore this season and just be like, it was weird. He's going to hit plenty of home runs at cores. Or if I should be legitimately worried about his power performance moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's legit concerns. And, you know, you brought up the injuries, and you can't talk about Chris Bryant without talking about the injuries. And they're sure. I mean, you don't want to see an injury anywhere, but his injuries are all in like areas that are really concerning, right? He dealt with the shoulder a couple of years ago, missed a ton of time for that. That's not something you want to see for power. And, He's never been a guy who's posted like super impressive stat cast numbers. At least he hasn't been since like his rookie season. So I don't see that and get majorly concerned. But when you hear about the injuries and you see the dip in performance, that's where it, it begins to come up. There's been some talk, at least there was earlier in the week. And by earlier in the week, I mean like like actually a couple of days ago that he might try to return in these last 11 games, which would be. Maybe affect his fantasy value like a a tiny bit, maybe, not for good reasons, right? But for kind of like confirmation bias. If he comes back for the last series and hits two home runs, you know there could be some momentum towards his draft stock next season. But when you say Chad, like you're willing to throw out the season, I kind of agree with you. But when we say that, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to rank that player the same we did. Like we'll throw out the season, but now we're a little bit more concerned because we're more removed from solid production. So, if you just had to throw it out there, and obviously, you know, probably months from now we're going to do a more concrete ranking, but like where do you think you're going to feel comfortable taking Chris Bryant next year knowing he plays a position that's kind of hard to find production at?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm trying to pull up some some ADP data to see where he was going this year. And so this is NFBC ADP data February 1st through the end of draft season, basically. While you're pulling Sorry. that up,
0: Chad, yeah. I actually want to say, I don't I don't think he's going to have third base eligibility next year. He has only played left field for all 30 games that he's played in, and he's DH 12 times. He's played 42 games, outfield for 30, DH for 12. So, whoa. <laughs> if Chris Bryant's losing third base eligibility that it, outfields thin, but that's going to really hurt his value next year.
1: Yeah, that, that is definitely a big hit. And I'm, I don't know. It depends. That That's one where like league format matters a lot. Like you're looking at like a standard Yahoo setup with three outfielders and two util outfield is deep. It's really deep in auto new where you have five outfielders that outfield eligibility is still pretty useful. Bryant this year, NFBC ADP in February and March, was seventy eight point four two, so you know, er, mid seventh round and a twelve teamer, early sixth round and a fifteen. <sighs> I'm looking now, and I, I'm sort of thinking he will. I do think he bounces back in terms of number of of games played, but I don't. I, I think you're looking at a hundred and let's peg the over under at one thirty five. Like I don't think he's playing 150, and I don't I don't think he'll play 100 again, but I don't think he's playing 150 either. So let's call it 135 games. Let's say that you know he 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 falls back in line like last season. He had a 356 WOBA, bounced back like I said to 370 this year. Interestingly, Zips and Steamer still have rest of season projections up, and. Well, the counting stats don't mean anything because it's like no numbers there. The rates are still sort of what they project, and Zips projects a three seventy six WOBA and Steamer a three thirty three. That's like the difference between one of the better hitters in baseball and being a completely average hitter, and so that's a huge range. And I was going to say I think he ends up just below where he was in twenty twenty one. That was a three fifty six. So you know, let let's say he ends up with. Maybe 25 to 30 home runs, a 260 average, 345, 350 on base, somewhere around that line. I'm not going to want to take him in the top 100. I think outside the top 100, you know, then you start getting into needs and we'll have to see how healthy he is and blah, 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 blah. Like a lot of new information will come out, but I think he's going to drop at least three to four rounds from where he was.
0: I I agree with that analysis and and I think that's actually going to make me in on him. So I know I kind of keep flip-flopping here. It's like, oh, you know, he got bad injuries, but, you know, maybe people forget about him and now I'm looking, he's going to lose third base eligibility. But to put it kind of simply, Chris Bryant is only 30 years old and with how much he lifts the ball, which is something I I was just looking at, you know, career ground ball rate of just 36% and otherwise he's hitting the ball in the air, put that in core's. I feel like you can still get a lot of value there, assuming he is only like four rounds or more later than where he was going last year. So final thoughts, Chad, anything on Brian? Do you think he's going to be in a lot of your rosters next
1: year? No, I don't. I think the, the final thing I'm going to throw out there is I, I just pulled up his Statcast data. He had a career low average exit velocity, a career low max exit velocity, the second lowest barrel rate of his career. That 2020, that awful 2020 season was the only one lower, lowest hard hit rate of his season of his career. He had the second lowest x of his career, again, behind that 2020 disaster. And so now I'm I'm sort of revising down what I just said, where I said he could bounce back to 2021 levels, but a little bit lower. I think it's more like 2021 levels, but significantly lower. Like, I don't know, significantly seems like a weird word. (laughs) I'm not saying he's going to be terrible, but I was saying he's going to fall three to four rounds. I think that's probably about where he'll fall from ADP. I don't think I would take him there. I think I'm actually going to want to sit outside the top 125, outside the top 130, and I'm just not sure he'll fall there. Yeah, that's,
0: I think that's a safe space to be. If if Now again, I'm thinking like, well, if he's actually in the top 120, maybe I won't have him. But I agree with it. I agree with the analysis. He's a guy who we're going to have to follow closely in the offseason, see how he's feeling, so on and so forth. And that actually has a lot in common with our next player, who's another player who is in a new location and I think was trying to live up to a contract maybe similar to to Brian as well, for sure, who signed for a ton of money Mm -hmm. and has also dealt with a fair share of injuries. Now, his season hasn't been nearly as disappointing as Brian's. He hasn't missed nearly as much time as Brian, but that's Trevor Story, a guy who was a first round pick. If you've been playing fantasy baseball long enough, you remember that Trevor Story was a late first, early second round pick for a couple of years there in Colorado. So What are we doing with Trevor Story next year, Chad? What'd you see this year? Are you concerned or maybe excited for his twenty twenty
1: three value? Story, I'm more excited than concerned. I think he had a he had a really rough start, and I do think it is possible that in that rough start, he was he was learning a new position. He was trying to, to your point, you know, live up to that contract, right? And from a from a fantasy perspective. He was very frustrating to roster early in the season. I mean, his March-April WRC Plus was 69. Like, that is that is low. It is not nice. And then he bounced back in May and was better, but then fell apart again in June July. And finally, finally, in the second half of the season, just took off. Was tearing the cover off the ball, doing everything you expect him to do, taking full advantage of that park, because that's a great park for him to hit in. And then he got hurt again. And it's just like, oh, I was really hoping he would put on a solid end of the season. I will say I've got some some personal tie-ups with this because in, in League One, again, don't New League One, again for an do New Prestige League trade, I gave up Oscar Gonzalez, Taj Bradley, and Ezekiel Tovar for a $24 Trevor Story. And he was going to solidify my middle infield, give me a big bat down the stretch. Then he, he was, suppo- and he was injured at that time, but supposed to come back right away. And then he didn't. And he missed a hu- he basically missed the entire rest of the OPL season. And then when he did come back, he was awesome. And now he's hurt again. And I could really use him right now. Cause I'm in a tight rate of th- race. Of the- I am in a tight race. <laughs> I can get those words out at the top of the standings. And, at the time I made the trade, I thought a $24 story like, oh, he'll have a great second half and then he'll be a keeper at $24. And he had that great second half, kind of, but now he's hurt again. And so like, I was really say, thinking in my head like, okay, if he finishes the season this strong, I'll feel good about him at $24 next year. And, you know, he he's not going to do that now. And so you're looking at a guy who like at $24, everything is not far off from... His auto new price. He might have been even a little higher in some cases. His average draft position for NFBC was 36. Like he was a a third round pick, and in the second half of the season, that's what he's performed like. Right, his second half of the season, he has a three forty average. He's hit. He only had one home run, but he also only played had fifty four plate appearances. Right, it's so like you he 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 was doing fine. He even stole three bases in those 54 plate appearances. He was doing everything you want just in such a small sample that I don't know how to extrapolate it. And so I think the reality is Story is a guy that my hope is as a fantasy manager, that everybody is like he was hurt. He struggled. Yeah, he got hot at the end, but it was it didn't really it wasn't long enough. I don't buy it. And his value plummets. I'm hoping that happens because unlike where I where I sort of landed with Bryant, I think I want Story next year. I think I want him on my teams.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just have a natural bias where I don't like drafting any Red Sox. But if he was wearing any other jersey, then I'd be like, yeah, I want him too. I think part of the reason why he's on this list of players that are hard to evaluate, it's not as simple as like former superstar who only played 96 games. So what do we do? It's more like former superstar who... New location, huge contract, and basically had three or four different seasons this year, right? He had the incredibly disappointing start. Then he had a May where he hit nine home runs. He's hitting a home run like every single day, but also hit 230. And then he was hurt a ton. Then he tore it up, and now he's hurt again. I don't know how much of the prolonged absence here at the end is the Red Sox sort of saying like, this guy's had a tumultuous season, and we're not going anywhere. We're spinning yeah, our yeah. tires. So let's just rest them up. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I th- I guess the one thing that kind of sticks out for me is if you pace out his season to like 150 games, he, he, he could have got 30-20. But that 20, how significant is that going to be next year if stolen bases across the board are kind of up? but I don't think there's any way we could really evaluate that between now and the start of next season. So I'm not sure how much that is going to matter. What might actually matter is the fact that he was not caught stealing once. He was extremely efficient on the base paths. He looked great. He's quick athletic. So I think if the Red Sox are willing, yeah, the Red Sox are willing to let him run stolen bases without being caught. Yeah, he was, he was awesome. So that could actually go up next year and we could be talking about a sneaky 30-30 threat for for a discount. So there's my Red Sox bias for you Trevor Story 30-30 next year.
1: That's that is uh <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I'm counting on 30-30, but I I'm with you. I I, I think he's going to have a good year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we'll see what story, but uh, let's keep the list moving. Let's do one more before we take our break. And this guy is, oh man, this is a tumultuous player every year, Chad, Jack
1: Flaherty. What are we doing with Jack Flaherty for 2023? (sighs) I guess just accepting that he's tumultuous every year (laughs) and (laughs) moving on. I don't know. I was all over him this year. I I really like, he is so talented and you know, he had that, like, if you go back and look at his career, like talking about tumultuous, you know, 2017, he comes up as a 21 year old rookie, He gets five starts, 21 and a third innings, one extra, one relief appearance as well. And he was awful. He walked everybody. He was Homer prone, but he was 21 and just figuring things out. Fine. Comes back in 2018 and 2019 and is good in 2018 and great in 2019. He puts up 151 and then 196.1 innings, like. Everything you want to see from a 22, 23 year- old growing into his role. Then in 2020, we have the weird, shortened season. He only makes nine starts and throws 40 innings, which is, you know, almost a full season for 60 games, right? It's not quite a full starter slate. Some guys are going 12, 13, but it's close enough. but his performance wasn't good. His walks jumped, his strikeouts went down, and his walks went up is, is part of it and his BAPIP went up. So the thing that, that you sort of notice when you look at that season is he had a 281 BAPIP the two years before when he'd been so good were 257 and 242. And then he only made 15 starts, 17 appearances, 78 innings in 2021, but again was very good. But again, it's a 233 BAPIP. And then this year has just been, it's just been bad. I, like he's barely pitched. He's only made seven starts. He made three starts in June. He was hurt. He came back, made three starts in June, got hurt again, and has now made four starts in September. And like, there's not even really clear progress or progression. He, he was bad in his June starts. He's been bad in his September starts. The BAPIP is like 300, which doesn't seem crazy, except that when he's been good, it's been in the 230s, 240s, 250s. The last couple years, and even before that, the zone percentage, on his four seamer was in the mid fifties, which is doesn't seem crazy high, right? Fifty four percent, fifty five point six percent. It's down to fifty percent this year. Major league average is fifty point four percent. So he he's gone from you know just above average, a little, you know decent amount above average, something above average to a little tiny bit below average, basically average. His O swing on his four swing on his four seamer, which has never been super high is well below league average and that seems concerning. His slider O-swing and that should be a pitch that gets a lot of chases is down as is his zone percentage on that. His curveball O-swing is down as is his O perc- his zone percentage on that. Like he he does not have a pitch this year as far as I can tell. That is above average on zone percentage or above average on O-swing. So it's really, really hard to get strikes consistently if you don't have a pitch you can throw for strikes, and if you don't have a pitch, you can get people to chase. And he he really has neither this year. Now, he's been hurt, and I don't know how much of that is just injury related, how much of this is him just working his way back. Like control does take time to regain. But that is like I don't see the pieces that I want to see coming together. And that is that's concerning, right? Like, you know, when I when I look at a guy like Flaherty, what I'd like to see is the pieces are all there. He just hasn't sort of made it all work. And it's, you know, is he just needs to get get himself a little bit, shake off some of the rust, we'll say, right? He needs to just shake off some of the rust. But like. I don't know. I don't see it. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he brings those zone percentages back up. And when those come back up, guys have to swing more and that causes them to chase more. And the O swing, like you can see a cascade that theoretically could happen, but it's, it's not happening. And so I don't know. I don't know. I made that. It just, I have a hard time trusting that it's going to get better. And when I say it's not happening, like his zone percentage overall, right? It's like, actually, let's let's look at just his four-seamer. His zone percentage on his four-seamer has only in his last start finally come back up to 55%. His zone percentage on his slider was his lowest in his last start. Like his last start was his lowest zone percentage, on his curveball his zone percentage was was sort of around his season average in his last start there's no real progress there like I, so maybe maybe that four seamer coming back up in his last start is is a sign of something when i first looked at this he had been trending down with that and it's it's starting to maybe come back up but like there's just such such limited data that tells me things are headed the right direction that i'm i don't know you know, he, he should get at least one more start, maybe two more starts, and maybe in those starts he starts to show what I'm looking for. But if not, I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna have him as often as I did this year, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's excellent analysis. And I, I Flaherty to me is a guy who is has been incredibly overrated. You brought up the pitch usage, and this was something that Paul Sporer of Fangrafts and Sleeper in the Bus was pushing a lot, even after that 2019 season, where Flaherty really relies on two pitches. Right. I mean, the the sinker and curveball, he's tried out as his third pitches and they just haven't panned out as reliable strike throwing pitches. And as he pointed out, really his other two pitches aren't all that reliable when it comes to throwing strikes, which makes life difficult. And I feel like his fantasy value has been hoisted up by a really hot debut, which caught people's attention and, and put him in the news. And then a second half of 2019, where I don't know if you remember that second half of 2019, but like him and you Darvish became like. Sandy Koufax and Pedro Martinez for that it, like it was yeah. absolutely insane. Like he, he pitched over 90 innings and had an ERA under under two or under one. I think it was under one in the second half. And like we just keep holding out hope that that's going to somehow repeat itself. And I know the COVID year was tough, not just for Flaherty but for the Cardinals in general. But here are his innings totals the last th- three seat the last three years. 29 innings this year, which will go up to maybe, maybe it gets to 45, Mm -hmm. 78.1 in 2021 and 40.1 in 2020. So even if you're a Flaherty Stan, even if you're a Flaherty fan, what is the realistic expectation that he even hits 130 innings next year? Like I'm just, I don't, I have not bought into the hype in Flaherty in years. In the more years that he churns out with injuries and disappointments and a, a lack of control all of a sudden, like it's gonna be really hard for me to jump back on board. And earlier you brought up the Babip, and I actually think he I think Cardinals pitchers can continue to support low BABIPs, but will that be affected now with the the departure of Harrison Bader in center field? I don't know. So, you know, that could begin to go up a little bit. I, I think Flaherty is talented. He's still young enough. He could develop a third pitch. He could become an ace. But even if everything goes well, I guess this is my point. If we're talking 2023, what is a realistic expectation? Because he's not going to go out there and throw 170 innings, 180 innings and compete for a Cy Young. It's not happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah that is the problem. So I, I'm just, yeah. I, I'll end up being stay, staying away from him. I, I overdrafted him this year and I, I have regrets. <laughs> so dude, uh, in the keeper cut out new league. I don't know if you remember. I I was like I'm just going to
0: take I'm going full Chad here. I'm taking two pitchers that I like and then I'm just going to get a bunch of like guys for cheap. And the cheap guys were Tristan McKenzie, Christian Javier, like guys I really like. Tony Gonzalez was one of them. But then the two aces that I relied on were Lucas Giolito and Jack Flaherty. So that did not not go to plan there. Maybe that's why I'm so upset with Flaherty. Yeah, maybe we should just talk about Giolito right now. Yeah, that's a good good transition. But before we do, we should take a break. So please take a second to listen to our sponsor. We'll be right back.
2: Hey, Alex Fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List podcast network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL plus subscription where you're going to get an ad free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff, plus you can hang out with our incredible Pitcherless community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherless.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code
0: Welcome back, everyone. We're going over my two massive mistakes from the Keeper Cut Aught new <laughs> Listener League. We just talked about Jack Flaherty. Now we're going to talk about somebody who arguably had a worse season because at least Flaherty had an excuse. I think Lucas Giolito is still sporting an ERA over five, but maybe I think I know I, I, he is. He's he's come back around a little bit lately. So Chad, what are your
1: thoughts on Lucas Giolito as we head into next season? Yeah. I think he he definitely hurt you more than Flaherty did if only because you probably started him like 20 times instead mm-hmm. of the maybe like i don't know Flaherty... if you dr- if you drafted Flaherty high there's a reasonable chance that you drafted him and just bailed right away and like that sucks it, you know you lose that draft pick basically but at least the damage is over at that point with giolito you use that draft pick and then you probably just kept throwing him out there for a while before you finally decided you know what this isn't going to work uh, giolito so I I did not have Giolito on a single roster this year, and I would love to be able to say like, look at this brilliant offseason analysis I did. I I figured out that he was going to. No, I just I just don't like him. I don't. Th- I I've never been a huge fan of his for any number of reasons, and I I think I felt like he always got overdrafted, and so it wasn't so much that I thought like, oh, he's going to fall apart. It was more just like. I never really believed he'd consistently be an ace. And so when people are drafting him as an ace, he just was never there for me. So I never took him, you know, looking at him this year, like his K rate is down. His walk rate is up. His home run per fly ball rate is up, but so is his ground ball rate. And so his home runs are relatively flat to last year. The biggest difference between this year and last year for Giolito is last year he had a 269 Bapit. The year before it was 255, for what it's worth. He has a 352 Bapit this year. Uh, now, on the one hand, I can't imagine that continues. On the other, the White Sox don't field the ball. Like <laughs> they're really, I, I mean, you know, part of this is, is sort of going off of my personal experience, having watched them quite a bit as a Guardians fan. And like I think the first inning, I think it was the first inning that the Guardians and White Sox played this year, the White Sox made three errors, just awful bad errors. And it really never seemed to get better. And so now I feel like I, I should probably at least go do some quick research here. And so I'm pulling up now outs above average by team. And the White Sox are, in fact, the seventh worst defensive team by outs above average in baseball. There are only eight teams with an outs above average of negative 10 or worse. And most of those teams are just bad teams that weren't trying. And then you've got the White Sox and Twins, <laughs> the Phillies, too, but I think everyone knew they were going to be bad defensively. But like the White Sox and Twins have been really bad defensively. And those are, despite how badly they've collapsed, those are definitely decent teams. So, when you look at that that BAPIP number for Giolito, it is tempting to say, you know, oh, he's for his career, he's got a two eighty BAPIP. It's going to come way back down, and I do think it'll come back down from three fifty two, but I don't think it's going to be low. That's a, that is a bad defensive team, and like in some ways, they may get worse next year because over the last month or so, they've replaced they replaced. uh Tim Anderson at shortstop with Elvis Andrews. And Andrews is a, a good defender. Like, Andrews has been a one-outs-above-average player, but in, in somewhat limited time this year. Anderson was a negative two. I mean, you, you look at, like, where could where could the White Sox improve their defense next year? Like, I'm not really sure how that happens. Anderson's going to be back they're still going to have this like Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn. Like these guys still have to be on the field somewhere. You know, maybe, maybe they move on from Jose Abreu and then, cause I think he's a free agent this year. That puts Vaughn at first base and then, you know, opens up DH and like, but yeah, he is a free agent. So maybe, maybe they're done with Abreu and that makes room for someone else to play first base. And like, things sort of cascade from there. Oscar Kolos, who's tearing up AAA since a recent call-up, could be their their opening day right fielder and he should be a defensive improvement. Like, Luis Robert being healthy for the whole season would make a big difference, but I, I think he's just, like, he's got bad defense behind him and I think he's still going to have bad defense behind him next year. And so I see a bounce back from Giolito, but I don't, like, he's not going to repeat what he did the last couple of years. He's going to be a high threes ERA is my guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, honestly, in high threes, I hate to say this because I actually really like Giledo, but high threes might be a little bit optimistic. I think the the big thing there is not necessarily a Bray or Anderson or whatever they decide to do at those spots. It's what you mentioned with Vaughn and Eloy Jimenez and, and really that outfield as a whole, because Giolito is a is a real fly ball pitcher. I mean, he's a fly ball pitcher to a T. He does not have an impressive ground ball rate at all. A lot of balls in the air, um, which makes him just a, a terrible candidate for the New League that I grabbed him in. I clearly underestimated the home runs per nine category, but that's kind of besides the point. It it helps explain, like if you I think people might be surprised to hear that Lucas Giolito has a lower xFIP this year than he did last year. Like going into this year he was being drafted as as a as a top 20 starter or like around 4 through 6 kind of guy if I remember correctly. And he ended up posting an even better expected FIP but again that's taking for a it's accounting for a league average home run to fly ball rate which like Giolito's just never going to have. Um he so many balls go in the air for him. Um, and, and they're hit hard. He does not have an impressive average exit velocity against like they're, they're going to carry and they're going to go out at whatever White Sox stadium is called. I feel like they've changed names a
1: few times. Is it it guaranteed right now? I think it's guaranteed. Is it still
0: that? Oh, okay. Um, but either way, like the other big thing for Lucas Giolito, um, that makes me really hesitant is the dip in strikeout rate that he's had, uh, that strikeout rate, has fallen like each year um, since his, his like peak a couple of years ago, which granted is only a few years of sample size, but it's gone down from it was 33.7 in 2020 in the short in 2020. And it was 32.3 the year before that's an absolutely elite strikeout rate, 28% last year and down to 25.7% this year. So do the math. Like he's going to have a high babb If there's bad fielding behind him and he's putting a lot of balls in play, that are hit on average pretty hard, like that's, that's going to result in a high bab. So like you can look and say like, all right, all four of his pitches underperformed their expected batting average. Like all of them had a higher batting average against than what was expected. But like for players like Giolito, that actually kind of makes sense considering expected batting average. A lot of that is exit velocity and launch angle. So I'm with you. I'm not excited about Giolito heading into 2023. He's got a lot to fix.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, speaking to that, that strikeout rate, one thing to note is 2019, 2020, his fastball velocity on his four-seamer was 93.9, then 94, pretty steady. It dropped to just 93.8 last year. So just a small drop-off from where it was, But I'm not even sure that counts as a drop-off, right? 93.9, 94, 93.8, all basically the same. 92.7 this year. That's a, That's a meaningful drop. And if that's, the big worry is that that's the start of a trend, right? If he's all of a sudden at 92 or ninety ninety-one point five 91.5 or something next year, like there are guys who can learn to pitch at a different level, but they have to learn to pitch at a different level. And I'm not sure we've seen Giolito show us that yet. So yeah, I was out this year anyways, and maybe not for good reason, but he certainly didn't, you know, turn that around for me. <laughs>
0: And like I, I understand people kind of rolling their eyes at this, and we're not doctors, but for a twenty-seven-year-old to have a, a pretty significant dip in velocity, like I don't think he's out of the woods for a potential injury. There, would you be surprised at all if he has, you know, arthroscopic elbow surgery to remove chips this off-season or something like that? I, I would not yeah. be surprised.
1: It, um, interestingly, in some that. ways, that might make me feel better. I mean, obviously, like if he has Tommy John or whatever, like some some bad happens, you know, he's being shut the window down, window. whatever. But like if they if If the White Sox announce in like two weeks, forget two weeks, they could announce tomorrow that Giolito is being shut down to have some cleanup done on his shoulder or elbow and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, he could have pitched through it, but their season's over. So why not give him a chance to get right? Like that might actually increase my interest in him for next year, because at least it would give me some reason to believe that he could turn things around. If they don't announce something like that, if there's not an injury, then it's just velocity loss and it's just poor performance. And I, yeah, I don't know. By yeah, the way, you were talking like about a, his value. His his ADP was 44 and his average auto new value is his median auto new price is $21. So he's being paid, you know, not as necessarily an ace in auto new or really in nfbc but that's a that's a pretty high price for a pitcher
0: well i I have him at 20 and with home runs per nine that's the category right home runs per nine yeah i'm not yeah yeah with that being a category, there's no chance that i'm not cutting him at 20 dollars gonna be 22 last thing i want to say about that is like this is totally anecdotal and unfair but i agree with you when it comes to hitters when like an injury comes out and it's like this could explain it but like we just saw with Shane Boz, who just like completely rocked my season this year because I had him in so many spots. He had that arthroscopic elbow surgery to clean up bone chips. And it was like, yeah, he'll be back soon. And that keep, kept getting kicked down the line. He comes back, looks all right, gets out again. And now we found out he needs Tommy John. It's those offseason injuries for pitchers where, like, if it's anything to do with the arm, I'm out. So I'd, it's a no win situation for Giolito in my eyes anyway. On to the next name here. I'm going to let you choose, Chad, because one, we have a pitcher who switched teams this year, who is like hurt, and I, I like. I like the pitcher. I'm sure he's a good guy. This is nothing against him, and it's not victory lapping injuries at all. It is going to be victory lapping performance, though, because the Yankees were too, too like well off. They did not need Luis Castillo. No chance were they going to give up Anthony Volpe to get Luis Castillo, and they went and got Frankie Montas instead, who's been little better than Kei Gawa for them. And then there's Juan Soto who on the other extreme has not been dealing with injuries, but has had a really strange season, especially in the batting average department. So which direction you want to go in? chat another pitcher? Or are we going to talk some Juan Soto?
1: Let, let's talk Soto just because I think, I don't know. I, I think we can talk quickly about Soto because I am of, I'm of two minds on him. One is in the, drafts like NFBC type stuff, especially in five by five, I just think he was like, I didn't have him in any five by five leagues because I, I never really bought into him as a top four pick or whatever he was going as. Like his ADP was like third. And the reason is, you know, he wasn't going to get to double digit steals he probably wasn't going to get to 30 home runs. least well, he's still got a shot at 30 home runs, but like he had 29 home runs last year. He's only gotten to 30 home runs once in his career. And so yes, you expect him to give you a high average, but average is a very fickle statistic. It always is. Even for the best high average hitters, it's it's not, it's hard to bank on. And he was playing on a terrible team that wasn't going to score much. So like I I was always a little bit sort of, I don't know. He wasn't my choice for a top five pick. In out new leagues, I was more than happy to pay up for him. On-base percentage is not fickle. And it, it really, I mean, it depends how you want to look at it, right? His, his on-base percentage last two years was 490 and 465. So by that token, a 404 this year looks bad, but you're still very happy with 404 on-base percentage. I, I don't know. I have no worries, like literally none. His strikeout rate is down from the last two years. His walk, out, his walk rate is a little bit down from last year, but basically where it was. H- his BAPIP is way down. His line drive rate is down, but line drive rate is the kind of thing that can can move around a bit. Like I'm, I'm more interested in the fact that he was actually hitting more fly balls, which for a guy who hits the ball as hard as he does should lead to more power. His exit velocity was down a bit, but his barrel rate was sort of fine. He has a, you know, last year he had a 429 exo but this year it's 407. Like it's, it's down, but not down in a like, oh no, I'm worried about this way. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm completely unconcerned about Soto. I don't think he should have been sort of a top five pick. I, I, and to be fair, like I had the same issue with Vlad going as early as he was in drafts. Like I just, I don't know. And Vlad, it like Vlad, it was some of something of a position issue, but like, At least, Vlad, you were thinking 45 home runs. You weren't expecting that from Soto. So, like, go back and look at what Soto's done over his career. He's going to do it again. That's what it comes down to. Don't expect him to do something he hasn't done. He's not going to steal 15 bases for you. He's probably not going to steal 10. He's not going to hit 45 home runs for you. He's probably not going to hit 35. Like, that's fine. Just be aware of that. What he's going to do is get a lot of hits, get a lot of walks, be on base constantly. In that lineup, he should score a million runs and get a bunch of RBIs. And like in auto new leagues, he's going to, he's going to have a lot of singles, a lot of doubles, a lot of, he's going to have enough home runs. He's going to be on base constantly. Like I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not worried about Soto. I think this year was some noise in his line drive rate and his BAPIP and very little else. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing there that I'm going to disagree
0: with. He's eighth in WRC plus he's fourth and whoa, and expected WOBA. like Juan Soto is a bona fide stud. He it, basically, it comes down to format to me in everything but Roto. And this includes head to head categories. I've talked about my strategy in head to head categories in the past. And I, I, I'm sorry, I don't care as much about stolen bases. If you're going to be such an outlier in the other four categories, which I think Juan Soto can be, like you said, batting average is fickle in non St- Roto five by five. I think Juan Soto is easily an, an early ish first round pick, right? Like, I mean, we've had the emergence of Aaron Judge here. Alvarez has burst on the scene. All these guys as first round picks. But I still think Juan Soto's right there with them. And in, you know, even in standard Roto, I still think he's probably a late first round, maybe early second round if you're worried about the stolen bases. I do think, though, he could be the type that benefits from the, the bases being a little bit bigger. Again, so much of stolen bases comes down to intent. And because he's just on base so much, like it, it, he might not have the the speed of some of these other base dealers or, or even the intent of some of them. But if he's on base as much as he is, and now the bases are a little bit bigger, okay, well, maybe he goes from being a six stolen base guy to a 10 stolen base guy. And that is not nothing. By the way, Vlad Guerrero ate stolen bases this year, which is just... I don't know what's going on there. You brought him up and made me think about it. So Juan Soto, I'm with you. He's he's a stud. If you're in a league with, with you know, nine or 11 other people that don't think Juan Soto is a stud, congratulations, because you're you're going to win next year. <laughs> All right. So then let's let's flip to actually another outfielder. We'll, we'll circle back to Frankie Montas, but on the subject of outfielders nick castellanos is someone who man this guy has really had an up and down career in terms of especially power production so what'd you see from castellanos this year and going into next year what are we doing with him
1: so i think the, the most confusing thing to me is castellanos has been like he has had his best performances in great american ballpark Like very specifically at that ballpark. It's not just like a home road thing. It's just like he's been really good there. And I mean, like if I pull up his I'm gonna pull up career numbers right now. His career numbers for that ballpark. So for his career at Great American Ballpark, he has a 315 average, a 371 on base, 644 slugging, a 157 WRC plus. I mean, he's just been excellent there. Cassianos, going back, looking again, he had a 315 average at Great American Ballpark. At all other ballparks, it's 273. His on-base percentage at Great American Ballpark is 371. At all other ballparks, it's 322. His slugging percentage at Great American Ballpark is 644. At all other ballparks, it's 459. (laughs) It's like, that's a pretty significant difference and now part of that you could say is like, well, he got better after his after his years in Detroit. Okay, that's fine. So let's let's get rid of, let's, let's just focus on, you know, twenty nineteen to the present. And he has a three twenty four BAPIP at Great American Ballpark. Not BAPIP, three twenty nine three twenty four average at Great American Ballpark and a two sixty nine average in all other parks. In all other parks, he has a 317 OBP. In Great American, he has a 380. Like, I can, get, I can keep going with this. 163 WRC Plus at Great American, 104 at all other ballparks. But, like, he has been much, much better in that one stadium than he has anywhere else. And I I don't know. I mean, maybe that's, you know, we know it's a hitter's park. I was worried about that going into his free agency. And then he landed in Philly. And I was like, that park won't hurt him. He'll be fine. And so I'm not really sure what to make of it other than like, is he actually like perfectly built for one stadium? It seems sort of crazy to think, but like that's, that's almost where the numbers lead me. Now I'm, I'm not, it doesn't really make sense to think that like, oh boy, if he just got traded back to the Reds, he'd be great at home and terrible on the road like he had been. But I I don't know. I have no idea what else to make of this. He just, it's like, he turned back into his like early career Detroit self. Low on base, no power. I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it at all. And I'm not really sure how to describe what happened to him. Like even things like his walk rate this year is down. That's obviously part of it. But his strikeout rate this year is right around his career numbers. The right where they were in 2020 wasn't very good, I guess, actually. his what was the other thing? Is his, his BAPIP is fine. 327 BAPIP. Like he's a career 330 BAPIP. He's a high BAPIP guy and he, he's still that. I, I just don't know what it is. It's like he, he looks sort of the same. His hard hit rate is down and his barrel rate is down. Maybe that's what it comes down to. Like maybe that's the big difference is he's not hitting the ball as hard. It's just a very strange phenomenon where a lot of his overall numbers, in terms of the 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 stuff you expect to influence his final performance, look fine, and then his final performance is terrible. And the only big change is that he changed parks, and now he's not hitting the ball as hard again. I don't know what yeah. to make of that.
0: It's it's bizarre. I I thought maybe you know I was wondering well maybe Schwarber in that outfield is forcing him to play the field more, but he's he's actually. DH'd more this year than he has the past two years. Like he's pretty much always been in the outfield. I think the big thing for Castellanos has been the ball. Now, this is a theory that I think was come up with by Chris Towers at CBS. And essentially, these line drive gap to gap guys are the ones that were going to be most affected by the deadened ball. I don't know if there there's been a follow up article on that if there's been enough evidence to suggest it, but I do know that Castellanos before the season or or, or I should say when the season started and we started seeing the effects of this ball was kind of targeted as like this, this could really impact guys like him more than others, and I mean, I guess in theory it makes a little bit more sense than just some magical ballpark as as helpful <laughs> as as great American ballpark is, but un, until we get more data on it, you know I, I don't know. That there's much more more to be said there. He's never been a super powerful hitter, despite the monstrous power seasons at Great American Ballpark. He's, by definition, a line drive hitter. And yet, even yeah. with that, has still managed to disappoint this year. So I, I don't know. I, it depends on where he's batting in the lineup. But if he's still a 20 homer, 90 RBI with a safe floor for batting average, if we can just kind of like say this was a weird season and that's what he's going to be going forward, I still like him. But the days of 30 homer Nick Castellanos seem far behind us.
1: No, I think that's I think that's right. And I, I think the the concern I have is batting average, like we said, batting average is fickle. And so like he seems like a safe batting average guy, but I hate banking on it. So Right. I, he he really what I really want to see is his walk rate come back up. And you know, part of his walk rate being down is that his zone percentage is up, and that may be because guys are challenging him more, but he's also His O swing is up and his Z swing is down. Like that is not a great combination. And so he's swinging at fewer strikes and more balls and getting more pitches in the zone. Like that's going to, that is going to lead to fewer walks and he needs to correct at least the parts of that he can control and bring his walk rate back up a bit for me to really feel good about him. I don't know how I, you know, see that happening like we're we're not going to know right by draft season. You're going to have to just make a bet on that. But that's what I want to see early in the year from him. He he's definitely I had him in a bunch of places this year. His value has definitely dropped for me. I'm pro- I'm sure I won't be the low man on him and what I just don't know is, you know, what you just said is probably a reasonable expectation for him and I just don't know if that's the where the where the consensus will land, or if people are going to be like, "Oh, he stinks. He was awful." If, that, if people are thinking that, I'll probably end up with him in a bunch of places. If if there's you know a couple people in each of my leagues willing to be like, "Yeah, I'm just I'm just going to ignore last year. He's still the guy I thought he was," then I probably won't end up with I'll end up with him anywhere.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to end up being in the same camp. Last thing I'll say on Nick Castellanos is, if you're looking for signs of a decline, while you're speaking, this kind of caught my attention. I'd hesitate hesitate to rely really on expected batting average, but one of the places I look to see like if a hitter is declining is how they do against fastballs. And although Castellanos had a 300 batting average against on fastballs this year, which is obviously very good, since 2016, this is a huge sample. His expected batting average against fastballs in 2016 was 333. In 2017 was 328. 2018, 326. 2019, 338. Twenty twenty three twenty nine 329 last year 339 expected batting average against fastballs this year that's down to 282 so Ooh. if he if he's all of a sudden he's past that 30 year old threshold and, and he's struggling with fastballs a little bit more then we could continue to see that trend going forward and, and that would be a concern for me as well um All right. So I said we talk about Frankie Montas. I feel like I've now all of a sudden turned this into the Frankie Montas episode where I hype him after every single player. So let's chat Frankie Montas pretty quickly. Any thoughts on on Montas going into next year? He was so good for most of this year.
1: I know. And I I, I had one of my bold predictions this year for Otto New was that Montas would be the highest scoring pitcher in Otto New. And, you know, bold prediction. I obviously, you know, knew it was out there, but clearly is not. It's not worked out very well, but yeah, I mean, he had a 3.18 ERA with Oakland and was striking out over a quarter of the hitters he faced, walking just 6.6% of hitters, then went to New York and in just under 40 innings, his ERA is 6.35, his walk rate dropped from 25.8% to 17.8%, sorry, his strikeout rate dropped from 25.8% to 17.8% his walk rate rose from 6.6% to 8.1%. And so like that combination, like strikeout rate minus walk rate is, has been shown to be a very valuable predictor of performance. He had a 19.1 strikeout rate minus walk rate with Oakland and it is down to 9.7 with, o- with uh, New York. And so, uh, man, I mean, everything has gone wrong for him. His, his ground ball rate has dropped, although not a ton. But interestingly, like his hard hit rate is actually lower with New York. His barrel rate is actually lower with New York. So, like, I don't really know what to make of that exactly. It's a very, seems very strange. But the issue really seems to be a lot more balls in play because he's not striking anyone out and a lot more guys on base because he's walking way too many. And his velocity didn't really change. And so, yes, he's been hurt, but it doesn't feel like a. It's not obvious to me like if his velocity was also down a mile per hour with New York then you start to look at this and be like okay he got hurt right away he was trying to pitch through it because all of a sudden he was in a you know a pennant race and I get that but I don't think that's what happened I think he just was worse I think he just pitched worse with the Yankees than he did with Oakland and like maybe he was pitching scared because of the park Right? He went from a place where like he could just do what he wanted to do and if the ball was put in place, so be it and maybe at New york he he got more concerned about that and as a result wasn't as effective but like I don't know i th- this there's nothing in here that I can point to to say like this is why he's walking too many guys or this is why he's not striking out as many guys because i because i don't see that drop in velocity i don't see his zone rate for example went from thirty nine percent to thirty eight point one percent it's it's down but it's not down a ton his his swing rate guys are being more patient against him, so his overall swing rate is down two percent it's down about two percent in o swing and about four percent in z swing Maybe it's just guys laying off better, but like why would guys suddenly start laying off better when he gets to New York? Like that feels like it's probably just randomness in the data. And so I I don't know. I, I feel like he's the he should be the same guy. A lot of the underlying things make him look to me like the same guy, but the results are are drastically different. I just don't know what to make of that. And I have to dig in deeper, like maybe he changed his pitch pitch mix because maybe New York wants him to do something different, and maybe they actually like messed him up, maybe he just lost his feel for his his splitter, which is you know his his bread and butter, and when it's not working it like maybe that's all it is, but man i I feel like there's this handful of pitchers who like go to New York and all of a sudden like. Sonny gray is sort of the the poster child for this like they can't pitch in New York blah 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 and it's like I've never been a big one to buy into this like oh they can't handle the pressure in New York but like maybe maybe that's part of it here maybe like suddenly being thrust into a pennant race in the in the biggest media market in the world was just a little much especially when you cover that in the off season
0: especially when you consider where he was coming from. I mean, he was, yeah. he's going from a place that that, that uh, more people attend high school baseball games than we're attending Oakland A's games. So it's not like he was going from like, you know, all right, he's coming from Milwaukee and and now he's going to New York. No, like this was he was playing in front of nobody and then playing in front of everybody. I can't really make a judgment on Frankie Montas until we figure out what's going on with the shoulder. Right. He missed a he missed a couple yeah, of games yeah, yeah. right uh, at the end of August there, whatever it was. Maybe it was going to the All-Star break. I, I can't remember and then he comes back looks bad and now he's out again so once we get more clarity on that I'll be more interested you brought up the splitter I'd have to look at the numbers but that's the hardest pitch to rely on right I mean right it it looks like Kevin Gosman's finally like figured it out but I, I always go back to Tanaka it was like Tanaka either looked like a Cy Young or one of the worst pitchers in baseball and it all depended on that pitch that's a little harsh on Tanaka I thought he was incredible but if he didn't have that that splitter working then yikes so Chad, do you want to do one more of these names or do you want to try to do all of them in like a rapid fire round? I feel like
1: there's so many names on this list, we could do a whole other episode like this. And so maybe we just hold off and, and go over more of them next week or something. That but for me. I I do think we should, we could do a quick rapid fire on three guys. Maybe there's more. I'm trying to think if there's any others the, that are the other direction right? Almost all of the guys we've talked about, not, not almost all of the guys we've talked about, we've talked about seven players here and every single one of them was disappointing either in their performance or the amount of time they played or both. But let's, let's throw out some names and I'm going to throw, I'm going to, I'm going to take over here and throw them at you instead of you throwing them at me. Ha ha ha. And I want to know, are you buying into this like excellent, excellent performance we got from these guys? The first one, Looks like he might be an MVP candidate, and that's Paul Goldschmidt.
0: Yeah, he's he's going to win the MVP. When you talk about fantasy value, I don't, I can't think of someone who's had like such large movements as Paul Goldschmidt. Where Scott White at CBS came out with an article yesterday that's definitely worth reading. He does this every year, which is predicting the first two rounds next year, and he has Paul Goldschmidt as like a mid-second round pick. And you can't disagree with it. Of course, that's like around where he's going to go. But like, how much are we willing to now like buy back in on a player who's going to be 36 years old and putting forward like, I don't want to say career seasons because he has had an amazing career. And I think the people that like sold out on him, you kind of look silly now. Like, what what were you thinking? It's Paul Goldschmidt. Okay. He goes yeah. to the Cardinals and and has a little bit of a hard time adjusting, but it's, Paul Goldschmidt so that's kind of like my way of not answering your question of I don't know if I'm willing to spend a mid second round pick on a first baseman who's coming off like career seasons here
1: which first baseman are you taking before him who are the first baseman who go before him for you Definitely Freddie Freeman.
0: I was just wrong on Freeman. I was ready to put Freeman beneath Vlad, and I don't think I'm gonna do that anymore. It depends on I think it's gonna depend on format. If it's head to head categories, I think I'm still gonna take Vlad before I take Goldschmidt because I, I don't wanna pay for what he did this year. I want to pay for what's going forward. And Vlad is a rising star in a great lineup. I, I would expect Vlad to have more runs plus RBI than Paul Goldschmidt next year and possibly home runs as well. I don't okay. know how much I can rely on a 36 year old to steal double digit bases, though. So
1: I guess at Goldie's not going to get to double two. digits this year. He's got Goldie's got 6 stolen bases this year. He only did oh, 12 yeah, last and that year, makes it even easier. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it even easier. So, what you know, about so I know this is supposed to be rapid fire. What about Pete Alonso? Right. Alonso is the he, I mean this right? year Alonzo was the third or fourth guy off the board at first base, right? It was it was Freeman and Vlad and then a lot or not in that order vlad and then freeman really and then you had alonzo and olsen who we talked a lot about in the preseason yeah goldie's obviously better than them you taking alonzo before goldschmidt
0: honestly i think i am
1: i don't think it's gonna go that way in drafts
0: but i i think i would alonzo's proven yeah. he's gonna have this stigma as like a strikeout low batting average guy he's just not like we talked about yeah, this yeah. in the past he's not a strikeout player he's got a good
1: strikeout rate
0: yeah I want, you're not you don't want to pay for what they did the year before you want to pay for what they're going to do going forward
1: yeah i think I think the my answer for that one is that i will it's not that I would take Alonzo before Goldie, but I think I would wait on Alonzo rather than taking goldie right I think it there there'll there tough- be an opportunity. Like
0: if it's a 12 team league, you you might not be like, I think those two are going to be so closely ranked. Like I could see Alonzo being a early third rounder and Goldschmidt a mid to late second rounder where like you you might just have to make a call if you want to go first place there.
1: You might, but I think that's an interesting idea where like, if you are, you know, let's say you got the third, fourth pick in the draft 12 teamer and you come around and they're both on the board with your second round pick. I think I would pass on Goldschmidt there. And if Alonzo falls to me, take him. And if he doesn't, then I'll find a first baseman later. I mean, like the fifth, the the top, the number five, third baseman on the or third baseman, first baseman on the Raswell Player Raider this year is CJ Krohn. Number six is Christian Walker. Number seven, actually number seven. Let's talk about number seven real quick because he's another name. Are you buying it or not? Nate Lowe. Your boy. First of all, I I agree with what you just said. I I think we're going to have actually
0: really similar approaches next year based on this conversation today. Where like, (laughs) if they're both available, I'll just see if I can get Alonzo in the next round if he's taken. okay, I I, I won't fill first base in the first three rounds. Twist my arm. Nate Lowe, it's just been a monstrous second half. So like he's still really young. I love that he's a lefty who hits lefties really well because I don't have to worry about play time and, and, and I can get excited about that. And I do think the Rangers are on the rise, so it, it's it's a cop-out, but it depends on where the ADP is, because I, I'm not going to overpay for Nate Lowe. I don't think he's shown enough in his career for me to overpay, but I do think he could be a solid source of homers RBI in a, a better batting average floor than we might think. You taking him as a top 10
1: first baseman next year? I'd have to look, but honestly, off the top of my head, no. I mean, looking at this, Goldie, Freeman, Alonzo, Vlad are all before him for sure. Despite Olson. this year, I, I still take Matt Olson over him. Yeah. And then you get into a group of like, this year, Christian Walker and CJ Krohn are going to finish ahead of him. Brandon Drury's right behind him. Jose Abreu, Anthony Rizzo, Rowdy Tellez. You know, Josh Bell will be first base only next year, but he's down at 18th on the first base rankings right now. I don't know. I, I think I take low as a top 10 first baseman. I don't think I see an obvious 10 that go before him. Like I said, Goldie Freeman, Alonzo, Vlad, Olson, and then if I'm choosing between him and Crone or Walker or Abreu or Rizzo or Hoskins or Rowdy, like I might take some of those guys. I you know I'll do my off season research and blah, blah blah. Like some of those guys might go before him for me, but like all of them, <laughs> I don't think all of them go before him. Yeah, no,
0: you make a good point naming those names because it's it's all of a sudden not as deep of a position. I, I am curious about a few guys like. Will DJ LeMay, who have first base eligibility, will Andrew Vaughn? I'd have to look that up. Is Max yeah. Muncy going to have an everyday job? Because if he does, I might like him more than Nate Lowe, even after this terrible season. Uh, and one name I don't think got mentioned. I do like Reese Hoskins more than Nate Lowe. But you're right. I, there's not 10 obvious names to take
1: before Nate Lowe at the position. Yeah. So then one last of these guys who just had a, a less breakout, more a resurgence. Alex Bregman had fallen on some hard times for a couple years there. He has not quite returned to you know MVP caliber Alex Bregman we saw in 2019, but very, very good bounce back season for him. And that's a that's a very, very good bounce back season that, if I'm correct, I'm going to double check this before I say it. Started, it didn't start slow necessarily. He had a 128 WRC plus in March, April and then a 109 a 107 in May, sort of a rough May. It looked like he was still sort of settling in. And now he's got a 160 in the second half. Like he had 142 in June, and it's just been you know, July was down to one eighteen, but it's just been basically good since then. Are are you buying in? Do you think Bregman is sort of back? Do we know who he is now? Uh I don't I don't know if we
0: completely know who he is now because he hasn't he hasn't been performing at this level for the entirety of the season, right? if he can get it all depends, is he, is he a 20 Homer guy or is he a 30 Homer guy? Because there's a huge, obviously a 10 Homer, but a huge difference there when it comes to the counting stats, because if he's a a 30 Homer and 200 runs plus RBI player with a a decently, you know, fine floor batting average, because he's not going to strike out more than, I don't know, 13% of the time he, he gets his bat on everything. And with how much he pulls the ball in that home park, which we've been talking about with Bregman for a long time, like he's, really solid but am i gonna bank on that for next year it it uh, again it'll depend on where he's going but i don't view him as like uh i mean he was going what in the first round a couple years ago and then the second round i i guess i'd probably feel more comfortable with him in like the fifth sixth round if i can't get him there that's okay because i think those categories can be
1: replaced if i can get him there then yeah i'd be pretty excited yeah, I mean he is this year on the Raswell Player Raiders seventh among third basemen. So even with this resurgence, he's not a a first division fantasy third baseman. And looking at the guys ahead of him, like Jose Ramirez is first, Manny Machado second, Austin Riley third, Nolan Arenado fourth, Bobby Witt Junior fifth, Rafael Devers sixth. I'm not taking Bregman over any of those guys. No, no chance. I, right, and so I and well, now I look at the guys after Bregman, him. Right. Yeah.
0: That, like, that's I, I mean could that's see fair. him over
1: wit in like a points format. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. I mean if I look at him like at a points per game basis in Otonue, Machado, Riley, Arenado, Devers, Ramirez, and Bryant. Limited playing time, but Chris Bryant is ahead of him.
0: That's surprising.
1: Yeah. But there, then he's let's leave Bryant off because we talked about him. One, two, three, four, or five. He's sixth there. I don't I don't see go- him going over. I'm not taking about paying more for him than I am for Machado Riley, Arenado, Devers, or Ramirez in Auto New. Now looking after him in both of those lists, like in you know, in Autonew, Wit falls much further down. And maybe you can make a case that you'd still prefer Wit because he's gonna you think he's gonna do whatever next year. He's gonna he's gonna turn a corner and be even better than he was this year. I'm not really buying into that. On the Razball player raider. The guys after him are like Brandon Drury, Eugenio Suarez, Matt Chapman, Alec Bohm, Luis Ariz, Justin Turner. Like no one's jumping out at me on this list, and I'm like, yeah. So I, I think it's just sort of it. He's a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth-ish best third baseman in almost any format. And whether he's sixth because you take him before Wit or seventh because you take him after Wit is really like that's really the question for me because there's no format where I'm taking him before. Ramirez, Machado, Riley, Arenado, or Devers. Yeah, no chance. So It's it's really just a question of like, does the fact that Witt is, like Witt's a, he's a fine hitter, but he's not a great hitter. Bregman might be a great hitter, but Bregman doesn't do a lot of, like he just doesn't pile up the home runs and stolen bases the way Witt does. And so like, depending on format, I could see Bregman over Witt or Witt over Bregman. I agree with that. But I think that's it. I think he's just gonna, he, that's just what he is. He's the, Sixth or seventh best fantasy third baseman. So let me throw this out to you. Are
0: you in your drafts next year? Let's say it's Roto five by five, which again, Bregman, it really depends the format. Are you ready to take Gunnar Henderson ahead of him as your third baseman? Oh boy.
1: That is a, that's a tough question. I think the answer is no, I am not ready to take Gunnar Henderson ahead of him. I think that this is a little bit like the Alonzo versus Goldie thing. I might prefer to wait on Henderson than to take Bragman, depending on what yeah. the relative costs are. So I may like him as a better value, but I do not want I, – I don't prefer him. Sure. No, that makes sense. There's a lot of players that we were
0: able to just throw at you. And, and I, I think, Chad, you're right. I think we should do a second episode looking at the next half of these players. There's no shortage of interesting names, names that we're all going to have to make decisions on relatively soon in our keeper leagues, and our new formats, so on and so forth. And I bet I'm sure between now and next week's episode, Chad, will come up with a couple more names that we need to add Absolutely. to that list. But I think that's a good time to put a pin in it. We'll talk about this more next week. As always, thanks for listening, folks. I mean, I, this is our last episode that's going to come out during the season. So we really appreciate you listening this year. It's been another fun year of Keeper Cut. As we approach episode 100, we're just
1: going episodes. We're going to have one more during the season. We're going to have one more. Yeah, but isn't it going to release? It's a weird season. It ends on like a, the season ends on like a Wednesday or whatever. Oh,
0: okay. That's right. Yeah, because of the, the delayed start to the season. So how about that? You yeah, yeah. Like so baseball we got, baseball. got one more coming.
1: Perfect. Not done
0: yet all right well thanks for listening folks again follow the show at at keep or cut follow chat at, at chad young follow me at at B baseball give us ratings reviews all that good stuff and we'll see you next week